So I've been playing around with chat GPT, Reed. You know, just playing around with it, I actually wanted it to just basically rewrite our intro that we do for our podcast into different styles. My favorite, uh, James Bond. I can hear the music in my head behind the intro. Uh, and I like the fact that it, it starts out with good evening listeners. There's a part in there that says we're going to be delve deep into the world of espionage and top secret tools, solutions, and strategies shaping the healthcare industry. <laughs> I don't know if we ever touched on espionage, but I do think that espionage will probably be on the vendor floor at the next conference. The screen fades in to a shot of Chris Boyer and Reed Smith standing in front of a microphone dressed in rugged cowboy attire and holding old-fashioned microphones. Howdy there, folks. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast that brings you the latest in digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. Yeah, we're here to dive deep into all the hot topics in the healthcare industry today, from digital tools to the solutions and strategies that are making a real impact, and that's making without the G. Cut to a montage of various images representing the healthcare industry in the digital world. In each episode, we'll be riding the trails of the tech world and bringing, again, without the G, bringing you all the insights you need to stay ahead of the curve. So join us as we saddle up and ride off into the sunset of the digital healthcare world on Touchpoint and the screen fades to black. And welcome back to Touchpoint, episode number 313, 313. That is a, that's a something, right? We go through this every time, I feel like. 313. It's, it's a like pa- palindromic number, right? It reads the same pal- forwards and backwards. So, uh, palindromic episode, episode 313, that is Chris Boyer that you just heard, and I'm Reed Smith. Howdy, Reed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do have a cowskin rug on the floor behind me and some Western pictures on the wall from the family. We could just, we could totally shift to just be all Western all the time. I'm going to have to develop your accent though, Reed. Yeah. I think my accent is maybe more Mississippi than it is Western, but tomato, tomato. But well, welcome one and all. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for tuning in for yet another week at Touchpoint. Like I said, that's Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. The website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go to learn more about this show, other shows on the network, Chris or myself, our backgrounds, other episodes we've done, topics we've covered, et cetera. But most importantly, maybe most importantly, while you're there, again, touchpoint.health, Sign up for the TPS report. You'll see it up at the top, name, email address. That's all it takes, and you will get one, exactly one email each week from us with five articles to kick off every Monday morning. So we'd love for you to sign up for that. We promise that's uh, really all we plan to use it for is just to provide you a little extra value. So we'll give you a, a chance to do that by pausing here, and then we'll be back today in just a minute with our show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. 
sure is. And read, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So today we're going to talk about building a business case. And I think that's critically important in this day and age, Reed, when we're talking about doing any kind of marketing or any kind of outreach effort. I think there's a lot of scrutiny going on around the financial aspects of all the stuff that we're doing. Is that, is that fair? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, just in the year that I've been here at Ardent, really everything we're doing is laddering back to data and ultimately ROI. So finding ourselves involved in conversations around service line definitions and how do we calculate certain things and, you know, getting away from just the pure marketing KPIs and, and into business KPIs, which include a lot of conversations with people not in our department. In my health system as well. And I think that it's it's not just our two organizations that are facing it. I think hospitals and health systems in general are struggling. And there's a lot of reasons why we have to start thinking about building these business cases and truly business cases, like you said, right? Moving it out of the marketing suite to the business world. One of the first things that I think is is critical to make us good stewards of the finances that we do is our hospitals and health systems are struggling financially. In fact, we have a link in the show notes that we're going to link to you about uh, from RevCycleIntelligence.com, which outlines some of the financial challenges that all of our organizations are facing in 2023. And there's some interesting stats here, Reed. They did a study, or I guess a survey of health system leaders across the country. And 85% of health system leaders today are expecting significant staffing challenges that are going to impact their business strategies. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's the predominant one that's impacting most organizations that I've talked to. It's not even so much the utilization or services or volume. I mean, there is some of that certainly, but I would say the biggest piece is the staffing component or contract labor, maybe some people would call it. An additional stat from that same survey said that 76% of healthcare leaders believe that inflation and affordability issues are going to impact patient utilization. Another piece in here talking about the fact that Kaufman Hall revealed that hospital margins were still negative in November. Now, wait a minute. I thought we made tons and tons of money. Isn't that what we do? I thought we just like printed cash over here pretty much, but I'm, I'm reading here that the margins are negative, which, uh, again, I'm not in finance, but I think that's not ideal. I'm almost positive. And so much so that this financial situation is going to make it harder for hospitals to invest in a lot of things, marketing, digital transformation. There's other things happening in our industry, in the work that we're doing, that's also making it tough for us around 
building this effective business case. What what are you seeing, Reed? So a lot of it is based on the like lack of being able to invest in these areas. It's kind of a chicken or egg thing a little bit um, where we have to invest in these areas to pull us out of some of the, the negative equity that we're finding. But then again, it costs money to do that, right? So you end up in a lot of those conversations. And it just kind of depends on your organization and where their focus is on uh, is it really about driving inpatient market share? That's what we've looked at historically, or are they looking at more holistically the consumer, which takes into account you know much more heavily weighting the ambulatory space? It's the entire spectrum of that customer journey or that patient journey, and that means that we're involved now in operations, and we could be involved in recruitment and retention stuff. That's right. And that's hard to measure. I mean, patient acquisition is one thing. Measuring branding, something we can do is pretty good. But when we start to get into these areas, the financial metrics of success are a little bit different than the ones that we're used to as, as marketers. Yeah. And even, I mean, again, acquisition is where we gravitated or have gravitated to, to this uh, I guess up to this point and not that we should go away from that because that's still a big piece of the, the equation. But when you start thinking about reactivating patients or kind of the care gap stuff, or as we move to more at-risk populations, then that that mechanism becomes a little skewed and is a little bit of a different focus as we think about retention and leakage numbers. Now our formula of ROI becomes much more complicated. While we do have the tools in place like marketing CRMs and you know marketing automation, we may even have other tools to kind of measure these things. Piecing them all together becomes notoriously difficult. And that equation of ROI becomes that much more complicated. At the end of the day, it's super simple to write down a formula for ROI. It's harder when you start taking into the nuances of you know, how the organization is paid. So you think about supplemental payments, for example, or uh, some of the managed care type uh, business well, it's just not as straightforward, right? It's not it's not a fee for service. Yeah, you know, if we're still talking purely fee for service, that's one thing. But you know, as these organizations are evolving, it becomes a little bit of a different target to try to hit. And that's why we are now talking about marketing business cases or just developing business cases for the marketing work that we do. This goes way beyond just like a marketing brief or a marketing plan. This is about building a business case. And so it might be good for us to kind of reset quickly around what those elements are of a business case, just so we have that in our back pocket as we start to talk about this, Reed. And I happen to go out to ChatGPT, which is going to become now a source of ours, I think. I actually typed in there, what are the elements of a marketing business case? And uh, it came back with a list. Let's quickly go through that list so we can orient on those. I feel like we can just use this to create any show we'd like. <laughs> if we just automate this into the spoken word, we, you and I don't even have to record these things anymore. <laughs> we churn out episodes every day. Um, okay, so first thing it mentions is the objective, so the overall goal of the campaign or initiative, right, such as, you know, acquisition type, you know, or brand awareness, et cetera. So, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Audience is the second thing, a description of the audience that you're trying to reach. And again, that seems kind of consistent in that's similar to what's in a marketing plan. 
Yeah. Uh, marketing strategy. So a description of how the campaign will be executed. So including the channels and the messages, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. That seems on track here. Budget. Estimate of an estimate of the resources that are going to be required to do this campaign initiative or whatever it might be, including marketing and advertising expenses, personnel costs, and any other necessary expenses. Timeline. It's always important. You know, when are we doing it? When are we not doing it? Key milestones, start, stop, deadlines, etc. That sounds good so far. Okay, here we go. This is where it gets a little challenging, as we just talked about. Metrics. The key performance indicators or KPIs that are going to be used to measure the success of that initiative. And this is, as we just talked about, this is where it gets a little bit different. This is actually an interesting one. I wouldn't have imagined uh, that, again, an auto-generated piece would have picked this up, but risk. So what are the risks or challenges uh, that may arise, uh, right? So this could be being assumptive here, but this could be maybe competitors or, um, you know, those types of things. And, and even maybe even including, you know, how you address those risks. And then the last one is our favorite one, which Uh-oh. is ROI, return on yeah. investment. But get this, very nuanced in the language here. An estimation of the financial return that is expected from what you're doing, including mm. a calculation of the expected costs and benefits. So imagine that now applied to things that are not patient acquisition related, Reed. Estimated. Estimation of your financial return. How about that? So if if we spend X number of dollars in a recruitment retention campaign, we expect Y number of dollars to the business? Uh-huh. It's complicated, right? Well, it is. And for all those reasons we've talked about, the way we're paid the way we track utilization. There, there's a lot of things that go into that that make it not terribly straightforward. And I would argue that a lot of us marketers, while we, we should be adept at being able to measure and do all of the things, create a great business case, when it comes to actually that part of this, right? If we are being held to an estimation of what we're going to do, that's going to require us to start to build partnerships among the organization in order to help us with those calculations. And I think what I, what would be great, Reed, is after this break, why don't we come back and talk a little bit about how we could start to make that business case by building those partnerships. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So um, how do we make the case for the dollars that you say you need? You said marketing. 
person, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> it's an interesting conversation. I mean, we've all, as you're listening to this, it's the beginning of the year. If you're listening to this, uh, you know, when it comes out and not months into the future, you probably just went through budgeting and you're probably still maybe even churning through some kind of final numbers relative to, you know, quote unquote, what is your budget for 2023? You know, we're going to reference an article from Forbes, our friends over at Forbes, uh, about, you know, making the business case for your marketing budget, but just kind of thinking through, you know, lessons learned here as well. And just some ideas as you think about, you know, how do you make the case for the dollars that you need? Part of this involves having that partnership with the right people in the organization. And most of those people are facing extreme pressures. Let's say, for example, CEOs. CEOs are are facing all of these other things that we aforementioned, right? About staffing shortages and short shortening of budgets and not enough utilization, et cetera. So clearly they're looking at their financial investments a little bit differently. And that leads us to the CFO. And that's an existing potential partnership of this. And it says in this article that more than 50% of chief marketing officers say they are facing pressures from non-marketing leaders who focus on the short-run effect of marketing spending and not the long-run effects. So they're looking for the short-term gain. And in our world, we often know that a lot of the work we invest in marketing won't pay out like in the short term, in a quarter or in, in a half That's a year, right. right? It could be, it, potentially we could be building return for a year from now. I mean, I would say pretty much everything in life comes down to relationships, to some <laughs> yeah, that's true. right. And so this idea of building partnerships uh, should not be lost on us, although we haven't done a very good job of it as an industry, maybe. But I do feel like there has been a little bit of a shift in the landscape. And I don't know if that's because of the evolving C-suite. People come, people go, change organization, you know, stuff shakes up enough, mergers, acquisitions, et cetera. Uh, maybe it's even seeing stuff like, you know, the news about Amazon or CVS or whoever, right? Um, it, CFOs are, are understanding. I mean, I'll tell you here, I, I've got great relationships with our financial folks that are both on the operations side of the house and then also squarely in finance. They see very clearly the utilization and need uh, of marketing efforts to grow the business, Historically, mainly around acquisition, but, you know, everybody's looking at the care gap piece as well. How do we reactivate the people that we already have? How do we retain them? How do we not lose those services or leakage to other organizations or other providers? And so I think the smarter we can be around how we frame that and how we look at campaigns or outreach or whatever, kind of however you want to describe that. Uh, they're very receptive. I know ours are here, but even across the industry, when I was at Gerard, a lot of the CFOs that I would engage with across organizations all over uh, of varying sizes, even you know, they, they were very much uh, you know, understanding of what the the value of marketing was more so than you know when I first got into doing this. I think that's a welcome change of events, right? Because when we first got into this, right, as you just said, right, it was a lot different. But I think that's because it's that shift of the way the marketer is perceived. We're no longer perceived as just the advertising people. Well, at least our CFOs are starting to see us in a more nuanced way. Part of that is because we're 
sitting at different tables now. We're, we're being able to be part of conversations and we're starting to work differently and shifting that perspective. And this article outlines a number of ways uh, that, you know, you could start to shift the conversation around what you do. I think you and I should probably hit on, highlight a couple of these because it really speaks to the fact that what we're doing is we're building an organizational business case for marketing, not just a marketing business case. And one of the things uh, they first call out is look at alignment with business priorities and strategies. I have found in my personal work that the more I can align our marketing and digital marketing investments to the strategic plan, the better context we have when we talk to others. When we talk about you know what we're trying to accomplish as a business, this allows us to marry up what we're doing in marketing today to that future state. The strategic alignment is critical here. You know, looking through this list, another one that kind of jumped out to me, they call it, they say, appreciate the metrics to budget connection. But it says in here that 41% of marketing budgets are based on the previous year's expenses and adjusting during the year if needed, while only 10% of marketing budgets are revisited every month or quarter to meet company objectives. So the idea here is, that was always the joke, although it really wasn't much of a joke, that we would just update the date or the year on top of the plan and turn it back in again. (laughs) Getting away from that and being more strategic about the conversations you're having and why you're doing what you're doing and how this aligns with operations and operational goals for the organization, growth and otherwise, puts you in a different conversation than simply saying, hey, here are the marketing campaigns we want to do, you know, and you don't have any real clear delineation of where this, like why. I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that jumped out at me from this article is about building that those collaborative relationships with other C-suite peers. My boss, the chief marketing officer, sits at the table with the executive team and regularly has conversations with, you know, all the other C-suite leaders. And just that mere you know, immersion into understanding where their challenges are is significant. She is astute at um, like identifying ways where marketing can potentially help support in ways that are a little bit different than, you know, normally normal than like recruitment retention just happens to be one of them. But another one might be we're rolling out a new EMR across the entire organization. How can we leverage marketing communications fully to help support that initiative? Because we know that that's a significant investment for the organization. Again, that collaborative relationship with your C-suite peers and understanding where you can uh, align your marketing and eventually your marketing spending is going to be an important one. That one jumped out at me. Yeah, one more I'll call attention to, they say, explain the hypothesis. And so, quote unquote, the best marketing leaders have a logic based on experience and data. So I think being able to explain you know, the why. Our, our chief marketing officer here always does a great job and she'll push back on me and push me a lot to say, hey, we, we've got to start, whatever it is that we're talking about. Hey, we got to start this with the why, you know, this slide deck or the presentation or whatever. And so I think that's part of it, right, is it's not going down this assumptive route that everybody understands why we're doing what we're doing, but being, you know, having logic. And again, this is where it goes back to not just updating the the date at the top of the, you know, document, turning it back in every year, the plan, but we need to be able to clearly articulate why we're doing what we're doing and being able to justify that. Now, here's what comes with that. 
accountability. That's not necessarily in this little blurb here, but I think if you're going to go in and say, here's the hypothesis, here's the data, here's why we need what we need, well, you're going to be held accountable for that. So I think that's what we got to get used to as well. Back when we were doing brand marketing, it was like, well, although we wanted to be able to talk about ROI and we wanted to have a bigger seat at the table, it's kind of like, be careful what you ask for a little bit, you know, because now here we are. And so people are going to hold our feet to the fire to actually deliver on what we say we can. And what's that adage, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. <laughs> that absolutely is true. So. Reed, let's take a brief pause. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about when we as marketers are meeting with key people in our organization, some tips on how to build a better way to communicate with them. We'll do that right after this brief pause. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We talked about building the business case. We talked about the importance of aligning it to business, etc. But I think one of the most important things is how do we do this effectively through our relationship building? And so, Reed, you and I wanted to talk a little bit about ways that we can talk more effectively with people like the CFO or the CIO when we're, when we're starting to get down this path of uh, building the business case. And in order to do so, it reminded me of something that I learned a couple of years ago called code switching. Have you ever heard of the term code switching before? No, not until we started, you know, kind of planning for this episode or whatever. I, that, that is not, I didn't know that, but I'm going to put that on my list. I'm going to start using that in meetings. Let me define it. Code switching is the act of changing behaviors, speech, dress, mannerisms to conform to a different cultural norm than what we might authentically do in our own homes. So let's say, for example, we are invited to speak to the CEO or to the executive team when we put on our best suit that day, right? And we uh, we make sure that we present ourselves in a very smart, effective way. Whereas when we're in our office talking with our you know peers, we might be a little bit more casual. That's a positive aspect of code switching of being able to change to meet the audience that we're with. I think we do that a lot with physicians too. Yeah. So I would say if we talk to physicians or the C-suite, that's the, the James Bond <laughs> versus the Western one. Now, in this day and age, when we're interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, there is a negative connotation around code switching. So be careful when you're using this in meetings, Reid, because your HR person might think about this a little bit differently because code switching also kind of is an enforcement of the norm. And that's a, a power shift in culture. And so we want to be very careful that we're not trying to imply that. What we're trying to imply is how do you gain credibility with your CFO or your CIO by talking and communicating about what you're trying to accomplish in ways that they understand. First, let's talk about the CFO, an important person, right? CFO, great influence, authority. We found an article, Five Steps to Help Marketing Gain Credibility with Your CFO. It outlines some steps that I think are pretty important for us to kind of go through and talk about at a little bit more depth. 
Well, the first thing they call out is is alignment, right? And so this is probably true for anybody that you're talking to. It's like, you know, understand what drives their day. What are they concerned with? How do you, you know, take that back to what you're doing as a marketer and say, okay, if we're trying to drive these types of encounters or these service lines or these types of metrics, you know, how can I stratify that back to what what we're doing, but but aligning with what their goals are. With the way they measure success, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's the second point, right? Relevant metrics. Develop a set of metrics that address performance of marketing in their world. And they really look at it as like it's an investment, right? So they call it like, what is a marketing investment? Using those terms, like what would success look like? Should we be driving more patient revenue to you know this particular service line? And if the CFO says, well, we're losing money hand over fist there, then that gives us a clear indication about like, well, maybe that's not the right metric that we want to measure against, or maybe that's not the right activity that we do. Well, the next thing they call out is kind of along those lines, right, is is building a certain level of business acumen and intelligence where you can actually do that. That's what's interesting here is to say, become kind of the CFO of the marketing department, right? You're the steward of kind of the metrics and, and kind of what we're able to do. And that's a lot of what the CFOs are focused on is the operational piece relative to finance. It's not just purely you know, looking at spreadsheets, right? It's what service lines, it's the, it's the impact on those service lines from competitors or market conditions, et cetera. So the more you become, you know, less of a advertiser and more of a marketer, I think aligns you with, with the CFO. That's a really good point. And this, the fourth point is actually one that's also, when I read it, I was like, oh, a light bulb went on. It says, take an investment versus saving approach to your budget. Most CFOs understand the concept of portfolio management. And so, in effect, marketers are portfolio managers of marketing. That kind of blew my mind a little bit to think about that. Well, last one they call out is, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but the the fact that, you know, it's a collaborative opportunity. You know, it's not adversarial. In most cases, and I've found that here, is, you know, finance has access to the data that you need, you know, the financial data that you need. And so, you know, you need to build that relationship and have them understand why and work with them on the models that you plan to use inside your department, across the organization, et cetera. Because in a lot of cases, you may find yourself, you know, building a pro forma for a new piece of technology. You know, why do we need this? You know, and I don't mean like an MRI. I'm talking about like marketing technology. Build that relationship so this all, you know, that they become a supporter of what you're doing. Now, that's a critical relationship that we have. Now, you and I, read because we're sitting in the technology marketing space, right? Uh-huh. The digital marketing space. There is another, I would say, arguably equally important stakeholder in our organization, and that's the CIO, the chief information officer. They tend to have most, most of their hands in the purse strings of the technology. Another article that we found kind of outlines some ways that we as chief marketing officers can talk better to the CIO of our organization. And it starts off by first outlining, let's look at how we as marketers look at things versus the CIO. What's in it for the chief marketing officer 
as we evolve towards embracing more digital and digital transformation is it's important for us to have the right information so that we can either make the right make their make a point and see what factors had made past campaigns successful being able to track outside of your CRM even being able to track to see if your marketing activity actually resulted in long-term business value. And so spending time with decision support and others like that, if we have the right data and we ask the right questions, most of that data and information is is sitting within the CIO's world in many cases. That's right. And for them, think about it. In a lot of cases, depending on your organization, they have a pretty tight tie or tentacles into everything that you're doing in the digital side of the equation. Maybe there's some hosting slash website integrations or APIs or something like that. But if you look at from a digital front door perspective, uh, like in our case, you know, our IT function is who owns the Epic relationship. Not that we're not super involved, especially on the digital front door side with my chart and scheduling and those types of things. But you mentioned decision support. And so as we think about, you know, how do we measure and look at data across the organization, they're a big piece of that. Um, I'll look at other digital front door components like our contact centers. Well, they have the telephony piece and, you know, VoIP or uh, IVR type solutions, et cetera. So, There's a big piece of this of like, you know, how do we integrate and and cohesively kind of move in one direction that's going to be important or uh, valuable to the CIO? But ultimately, right, if if we could get what the CIO wants and we could get what we want, at the end of the day, it comes back to the business. And so really, that's the crux of this relationship. If we can develop this partnership with the CIO... Here's our ways that we can actually help the business succeed. The first is by working together, we can evolve our business quicker. Evolution. Giving information that we need together can allow us to collaborate to develop these digital front door solutions to be able to measure the customer, the the patient through their entire patient journey, et cetera. Having that mindset can help us evolve the business much faster to meet where we need to go. Second thing, shared skill sets. Uh, Again, I'm seeing this a lot right now between my digital team and IT as it relates to Epic. So things around my chart or some other Epic related builds and integrations uh, has become big as well as a lot of our marketing automation and CRM folks working with like decision support and others around our EDW or, uh, you know, even getting access to financial data, et cetera. So you do have some overlap. And I think that's good to make sure that we can, you know, move the business forward that much faster. Having these people that have a little bit of insight to the other side is, is, uh, is a good thing. And lastly, is it boosts our ability to focus on the customer that much better. Rather than having this adversarial approach of like, we manage the front end as marketers and you get everything else once they become patients. If we can build that partnership, we could start focusing on that entire customer journey. We could fulfill the goals of what we're trying to accomplish to meet consumerism. And the CIO can focus on getting the right information to them and ultimately improve their overall experience. I think this is an interesting way to think about things relative to other leaders in the organization. And not that there's, you know, you don't have somebody that's over strategy or business development or operations or the physician organization that you can apply a lot of these same ideas 
and principles too, but these are just two two that are kind of you know top of the stack as we relate to the data and financial data of the organization, right? You know, of course, we'd love to hear how, what others are thinking or what others are experiencing, what other partnerships are going to be important. With that, we'll be back in just a moment to give some recommendations. All right. Well, great topic today. I, th- I look forward to continue to kind of make your way through more and more of these. Hopefully there's some some practicality and some tips in here, uh, real life experiences, whatever, you're, that uh, may be helpful. I uh, would love to hear from folks that are, you know, kind of walking down this path. You know, you and I both have been spending some time here and be, you know, would love to share ideas and, and learnings and all that kind of good stuff. So feel free to reach out. TPS report, sign up for that over at touchpoint.health. And let's do some recommendations. What do you got today? Reed, I'm going to recommend a television program that I've just recently introduced to my wife. It's one I've seen before. It's kind of old. Well, it's a couple years old. Uh, Veep. Do you remember oh, that God. show? Veep? Oh, gosh. Great. The political satire. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a vice president. It's kind of that fast-paced Seinfeld-like comedy, but it's also a, a little bit of like West Wing meets Seinfeld. I don't know how to describe it, but it's shot a lot like The Office, right? Where it's documentary-ish feeling. Anyway, yeah. Right, right. But it basically follows uh, Selena Meyer, a fictional vice president, and her cast of character staff, and how they try to help her run a very efficient vice presidential office. And of course, hijinks ensue, you know, and they have great, great uh, cast members. Uh, Tony Hale, yeah, he's my favorite. He is my favorite in the show. He he, sure. he plays Gary Walsh, her bag man. He carries around her bag and everything, right? But uh, other characters like Timothy Simmons, who plays Jonah Ryan, and Matt Walsh, who plays her uh, p- press person, Mike McClintock. Anyway, just so funny, so hilarious. Very short episodes, like 25 minutes, right? It's on HBO. A little profane, obviously. That kind of makes it fun. It's just so funny. And I have to say, like, one of my most favorite episodes we just watched the other day is when she accidentally crashes through a glass door accidentally and and then tries to hide it and ends up running a marathon the next day. (laughs) Again, hijinks ensue throughout all of this. And it's a great, I think there's seven seasons. We're watching through it. And I have to tell you, because of the, the shortness of the episodes, we're watching quite a fair share of those. And I think there's only like 10 episodes a season too. So I'm going to recommend it. For those of you who have, have HBO, go back. If you haven't seen it before, go back and watch Veep. It's hilarious and so much fun to watch. And actually surprisingly prophetic. There are some things that they make fun of that actually has happened since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> so. for sure. Uh, very good. Very good. Very good. I'm going to recommend an app for the iPhone. I'm assuming they make it for an Android. I don't really know. Called Unblock Me. So again, I I like puzzles, you know, for lack of a better word, or something that, you know, pretty quickly you can just kind of play and lead, like Yahtzee or, um, you know, other types of just kind of quick, quick games that you can play when you've got a few minutes. But anyway, Unblock Me, it's got a bunch of tiles. You move them around to try to, I guess, remove the one key or kind of odd colored tile in the bunch. And anyway, it's fun. It's pretty easy, pretty quick. It's handy if you're like sitting in the airport, you know, that that kind of thing where you can just, uh, um, you know, sit there and kind of knock through some some uh, some fun little uh, puzzles. So, yeah. 
I love it. You always recommend good, like little puzzles or games and stuff like that. I end up downloading them and, and, you know, using them like while I'm waiting in the line or like you said, waiting at the airport or whatever it might be. So I'm going to have to go get that one. Yep. I've done three of them while I'm sitting here. So <laughs> love it. Well, there you go, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. We certainly appreciate all the support. We love having you here. Love hearing from you throughout the week. Reach out, let us know what you think, other topics, other people we should talk to, all that kind of fun stuff. So Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.